Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott, and welcome aboard, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show coming to you from somewhere in Alaska and somewhere where it's happy hour, unless you're in Juneau today and the snow loads are so deep there with the 42 inches of snow, and now it's raining on top of that, and Fred Myers is closed, and Jordan Creek Mall is closed, and the Western Auto is closed. Even the state of Alaska executive offices are kind of closed, and I believe uh, the schools are all sh- shut down while everybody looks at the roofs and, see if, see, and sees if they're going to hold. We have such a great guest with us today, Matthew Hagnani from the Governor's Development Team is here to talk to us about how the team is sort of jump-starting the next big thing here in Alaska, getting our economy going again with some new ideas and some older ideas that need probably need a little freshening up. But first, John Quick is on the road today. That's our co-host usually, but uh, on Mondays at least. But today we're very lucky to have Scott Levesque, who is our Vice President of Media here at Must Read Alaska and our show producer in the other chair. Welcome aboard, Scott, the man with a golden voice. Suzanne, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to talk with Matt. Uh, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all the Alaskans that donated to the Red Cross and relief to what's going on in many of the boroughs uh, up north, including the Matsu and uh, heading all the way up north to Denali and so forth. You guys have been awesome in your response. And uh, it just goes to show you that Alaskans always are here to help Alaskans regardless. So thank you guys for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's right. And on our show last week, we talked a lot about the Red Cross and did a kind of a little fundraiser boost for them because they are doing a lot of yeoman's work up there in the Matsu Valleys, where um, the wind was just um, just brutal and blowing snow and the ice and everything else. Um, quite a disaster. And I understand there's still a lot of people that need a lot of help up there. So thank you, everybody. And thank you, Scott, for your work taking water and generators up to the Matsu to help people get their homes warmed up again. You also deserve a lot of praise. Hey, do you have, speaking of praise, do you have an applause button for our guest, Matt, Matthew Fagnani? Um, anything like that, that we can jump in there with? Because I tell you, I am so excited to have him with us. He is the senior development executive of the Alaska development team in the office of the governor. Welcome to our show, Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much, Suzanne and Scott and, I want to do a shout out to the Red Cross, too. One thing I didn't tell you, I am a, about a 15-year board member for the Red Cross and the past chair. So uh, it's a it's an organization that's very dear to my heart. So thank you. Well, and they do great work. I, you know, they're there first on the scene. They're always there to help in that early relief stage when people are just really in trouble. And um, they really have helped us as Alaskans pull together and help out the people, especially in these, these scenarios that we've been going through. And I have a feeling that there may be a need for the Red Cross to um, send a couple of, uh, of uh, caseworkers down to Juneau because it's a little dicey situation down there, as you know. Well, they'll but do it are, if it's needed. Yeah. So before we jump into what the Alaska Development Team is in the Office of the Governor, which it sounds really interesting, can you just... Uh, Give me a little brief history about yourself and where you grew up and kind of who you worked for before you came on board with uh, the, the the office of Mike Dunleavy. Sure. Thank you. Thank you again for the question. Um, I, I was born in Phoenix, but I think I grew up in Alaska. I've been here since the uh, mid mid 80s. 
I was an Air Force, I'm an Air Force veteran stationed up at Eielson. So you take an Arizona boy and you put him right in the middle of February in uh, the interior and you, uh, you learn real quick, real quick how cold, cold can be. Uh, but uh, love Alaska, been here, married. Uh, my wife has MSI Communications and we have two children, a daughter and a son. And, and one lives in, uh, my son's still in Anchorage and my daughter lives in Idaho. And we're, we're just fortunate to call Alaska home. Yes, yes, we all are actually. It's a, it's a great place to raise your kids, and I I raised my kids in Alaska, and, and I was just I remember that um, when my dad moved me to Alaska when I was fourteen years old, I thought you know okay, well I'm just dead now. There's you know life is over, but it turned out to be like the very best thing that could have ever happened to me, and I grew up in the most interesting place in the world, and so did so did many of uh, our, our kids did too. So so you joined the. Uh, the Dunleavy administration in 2019, that was before the pandemic. And right. the and you were tasked with helping to get some things going in our economy because we've been sort of sort of bumping along the bottom for a while. And so what was the what was the role of this team, Alaska development team? And, and what is your role? Sure. So first of all, I was I joined the team as the director for economic development for the state of Alaska in the Department of Commerce. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to the governor for creating the Alaska Development Team. And it's not placating my boss necessarily, but what, what, what the team is, is able, capable of doing and able to do is we can convene other government, other, other state agencies. We can help solve problems that businesses have uh, with a state agency. We can kind of cut through that red tape. And we try to work with, with new emerging players into uh, Alaska. And it's, it's just a... a it's just been a joy to be able to work on only economic development issues. Uh, we don't go to Juno. We're apolitical. We don't care who you're voting for in that box. As long as you're creating jobs in Alaska, we want to try to help match funding sources if you need funding through ADA, through the uh, permanent fund funds like Bearings or McKinley Capital, who have a portion of, I think it's $100 million each, to help uh, entrepreneurs uh, invest in Alaska through the permanent fund. Um, John Springsteen, my partner uh, in crime on the development team, kind of handles the financial uh, 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 part of our team. So right, and he used uh, to and he used to run Ada for for a number right. of years. That's, he's he's quite exactly. capable. And that's exactly why he was hatted with that decision instead of me. So mm. um, I, we we, we it's kind of neat how we work together because we each have different skill sets we bring to the table. John looks at things very analytically and very numbers oriented. I'm looking more entrepreneurially. Uh, let's let's take the hill and go. Um, and so it's really exciting to be part of the Alaska Development Team. And and again, I really think it's a it's a much better approach than having a division that's just reporting to a commissioner. Um, we report to the governor, and when the governor walks in your offices, what are you doing for me lately? You know, you kind of have to have an answer. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you, he starts the the team. And of course, that was shortly after the major earthquake that we had at the very end of 2018. Right. So then, you know, you've got that to deal with. And you thought, well, that'll be our big lift as we're, we're going to be working around some of these infrastructure things. And the earthquake was very distracting to everybody because there was a lot of repair work that needed to be done. And, um, you know, some businesses and so forth. But uh, but then at the end of 2019, this mysterious little virus started seeping out from Wuhan province, um, China, and started 
becoming a concern. And then by March in 2020, we, it had arrived in Alaska. What were you guys thinking when all this was coming at us? Did you, did you kind of foresee that this was going to be one of your bigger hurdles? Well, so I was in commerce at the time still participating on the development team, but under the commerce banner. And yes, no, when it became evident that this was going to be a long-term issue, uh, I raised a concern personally about the supply chain, uh, recognizing that our freight, we, we got three ways of freight comes to Alaska. Goods, goods come in, it's either by air, by sea, or by road. And um, not being tongue-in-cheek, but if the port of Tacoma had ever shut down, Alaska would have been in a really a world of hurts and nobody expected Canada to close their borders. Uh, but we were already discussing it as part of the development team. If this were to happen, what do we have to do? And of course, the governor was already on top of that and had already communicated with the Canadian government and the Port of Tacoma to make sure that our, our access points were not shut down. Uh, but that, yes, that was a big concern as just one example. Yeah, and, and just uh, in terms of having uh, businesses shut down across Anchorage, uh, many of them that were shut down and never reopened again. Um, I feel like that that was probably something that just kind of came at you like a fire hose. Right. Um, well, we worked on the pay, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program through the, um, through the uh, Small Business Administration. And our team was real instrumental in, in, in giving out those loans. So we heard the stories firsthand, how they, people, uh, businesses couldn't make payroll, how they couldn't get their supplies, how they just don't have the income to buy next year's supplies, even if this year's gone. Um, and then, of course, what happened to the tourism industry basically just shut, shut down and put, you know, uh, 50, 60, 70,000 people out of work. Yeah, sure did. I mean, the tourism industry is still uh, the one that's lagging in southeast Alaska, especially in, in trouble because of that, but also all the way up to Fairbanks, uh, and Denali, Healy, you know, all those places that have a lot of small businesses that cater to travelers. And some of the independent travelers came back last year. But uh, they didn't really come back in the numbers to Southeast Alaska that they would need down there to kind of restore their economy. Right. But Suzanne, maybe this, maybe, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I have a I just a point, maybe just to uh, help enunciate, Matt, the idea that the governor uh, was navigating and, and you guys and his team are navigating this, this pandemic and doing so almost at, you know, groundwork, kind of foundational work at this point. Can you just explain to, especially our listeners, how much uh, logistic effort and how much communication that that was with let's just use the port of Tacoma to make sure that things weren't closed off because like you said Canada shut down and as you know when people heard about the pandemic ironically the first thing they grabbed was toilet paper and water right which had nothing to do with the symptoms but yet that's what they grabbed can you kind of just briefly touch on I know we don't want to go too deep how important that was particularly for you guys and, and the governor to make sure that those line of communication and the logistic supply chain was keep, keep pumping through. So I, I didn't have any uh, communication with the team at the, the governor and his team at the time they were making the, the calls to Canada and to the port of Tacoma, but I know they were made and I know they were impactful. And I know that we all know the results of that is our freight continued to come to Alaska, but where I did kind of interface kind of similarly to your question, Scott is, is when the commercial fishermen were coming back into the state, it was uh, the um, the emergency response center, <clears throat> our, our team in commerce, that was yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, that was helping to navigate 
how do we bring these commercial, these processor uh, employees into the state? How do we get the Department of Labor in, energized into the state to make sure that we are hiring as many Alaskans as we can for these jobs? Um, right. You know, gone were the days of a captain walking the walking the docks and saying, "You want to go, Suzanne? You want to work on a boat this year?" Um, we really had to be more surgical, if you would. We had to make yep. sure that we had had action plans for each vessel that says, in the event of an outbreak, what, how are they going to contain the crew safely and the product? And was there going to be mm. an effect on the product itself? You know, right. no. right to the we product. didn't know that at the time. We, we know, didn't we, know, but, but we were asking those questions in these meetings. And we had people like the United Fishermen, the at sea processors. We had the manufacturers of uh, the processing facilities. We had Department of Labor, DEC. Uh, Department of Health, and we had this whole collective team of, of agencies and industry solving the problem together. And I think that's the power of what the Alaska Development Team can do, because I just sent off an email and everybody showed up. Yeah. Well, Matt, I think that's the point. The point is you guys did some massive uh, procedural stuff that nobody thinks of. I mean, nobody thinks of the depth stuff you're doing uh, right. during this pandemic, especially having to come up with so many contingency plans and ways to navigate something that was completely unpredictable. So I think that was, that's a, that's a coup to your team. Obviously it's a coup to the governor's team and himself as well. So I, I just think it's important people realize there's a lot that went into this. Well, it's an, and it's a kudo to, to Alaskans themselves, the village yeah. residents and our, our um, you know, the people that make up this great state because they, they really rose to the occasion and they really worked with industry and agencies to make sure that we had a successful fishing season, because that would have been another billion dollar hit. Yeah, right. Now, so yeah, you, you've had to probably also change your focus now that sort of it's contained a little bit more. And it looks to me like it's becoming part of our lives and we just kind of have to live our lives anyway. And so now we've got to take a look at Alaska getting back on track. We've got tourism that needs to get back on track. We've got uh, fishing, of course, that has got a, a tremendous number of issues oil and gas, we don't know if we're going to be killed by the Biden administration or not. But what are the projects that you are working on specifically? Because I know you've got other people on your team. You mentioned John Springsteen, and there are some others as well. But what are your projects that you're most interested in or that you've been tasked with? Sure. Um, so work. I work a little bit in the timber side. Um, and it kind of timber kind of manages itself if you can stay out of the Tongass fight. Um, but we won't go there today because I don't have anything new to say. Um, uh, I, I also working on mariculture, uh, agriculture, and defense. Uh, defense to me is a new sector in Alaska, even though it's been here for generations. Many of us came here vis-a-vis -vis the military, but I, I look at it as an economic engine sector, and I'll speak a little bit to that later if you want to. Uh, but mariculture, commercial fishing are also in my uh, wheelhouse, no pun intended. Well, let's talk about the uh, mariculture for a minute, because I think what we're talking here is... Uh... Are, are the new aspects of, of fish products and sea, sea products like kelp and other things and like oysters. So talk to us about that. So if this is an exciting industry, um, Suzanne's got, it's brand new. Uh, it's been around for a while, but it's brand new in Alaska. Um, it's, it's the cultivation of, of seaweed for food, fertilizer, feed, uh, nutraceuticals, textiles, um, it's amazing the amount of markets seaweed can touch as we grow this market. 
And we're at the very beginning of something very neat uh, to create what I think could be another $100 million, billion dollar industry, but it's gonna take time and it takes growing pains. I kind of equate it back to the old commercial fishing days, you know, and when processors came up to Alaska and, and we still have some remnants of these um, huge canning facilities. Um, we're going through those growing pains right now with, with mariculture, where we're trying to figure out what species farms best. Um, this is not wild harvest necessarily, although you could, uh, but this is farmed uh, usually in, in uh, um, some specific acre that a farmer wants to do. And I call it, it's no different than agriculture. This just happens to be wet farming versus dirt farming. The farmers in the wet, in the water, have some of the same uh, challenges as our dirt farmers do. Um, one farm in particular had um, part of his kelp farm, uh, I'm going to use the word infested, because it was the herring laying eggs on his kelp, which rendered it non-saleable and non-harvestable by fish and game standards. And so it's no different than uh, some other type of insect taking a, a dirt farmer's crop away from them as well. Right. Uh, Whoever thought of a herring as being a pest, but if you're a kelp farmer and you don't want the, the if you're not selling, you know, herring roe on kelp to the, right. to the Japanese, then actually you've just degraded your product. Right. And the rules say they can't sell it as that right. kind of product. So, so it is exciting as the industry is learning the do's and the don'ts and the ins and the outs of how to be a farmer. Number one, we don't have generations of kelp farmers to learn from. In Alaska, we right now, we have about um, 120 or so leases representing about 3,000 acres. Um, we will surpass, I think, Maine at the end of this permit season. I don't know how many permits are under review right now through DNR, but every permit goes through a rigorous review period uh, with DNR, Fishing Game, and DEC. Um, and that's for shellfish, gooey duck, um, oysters, clams, mussels, um, sea cucumber, and of course the kelp species. Um, it's, it's an exciting industry. I can't tell you where I think this can go. And, and these are jobs in coastal rural Alaska, where, especially in Southeast, where you have seasonal jobs, these are year round jobs to take care of the oyster farmer, take care of the, uh, uh mainly in the oyster business, because you got to constantly turn your oysters and move them up and down the water column in order to access the, uh, nutrition. And so it, it, it is exciting. And I think as more and more Alaskans take the plunge, no pun intended, um, the industry will grow. And I think what's going to end up happening ultimately, if I use my, my crystal ball, I think we'll see some sort of co-op as a buyer's group come in where farmers can farm and the people that have the marketing skills and the markets will market and so on. Um, okay. So you could have for like, a, instead of having a salmon tender boat, you could have kelp tenders. Correct that take this to market somewhere. I don't know what you can do with, uh, with kelp other than grind it up into a powder and stick it in a, in a capsule and give it to people for good well, nutrition. But right now the, the kelp that's grown in Southeast Alaska is going right to the food markets. Uh, the kelp growing in, in Kodiak right now goes to Blue Evolution and they're a co-op there. And Blue Evolution uh, hauls all their kelp down to California where it's processed into food. So you're going to have different grades of product and the different variants of grade, the higher the grade, the higher the value will go to that type of a market. The lower the grade, the lower the value will probably go to your fertilizer and your feeds. 
Um, we're working with the Plant Materials Center right now. When I say we're, it's me, um, with uh, Rob Carter and the Department of Agriculture to, to, to look at kelp and say, how can we get ahead of the agricultural opportunity and how can we find our own niche markets and, and subplant um, uh, something that's being imported and replace it with an Alaskan grown product that can be used. And then when we meet our market potential, how do you then service the other markets that would want the product, especially with, with um, uh, backhauling on some of these jets to, uh, to Asia? Does the Alaska Seafood Marketing Association have any role in any of this? To, at this current time, no. They're watching it very closely. There's a bill that was going through the legislature that did not get through, and that would have authorized uh, some uh, help with ASME with some marketing. But this is a chicken and an egg, um, Scott and Suzanne. The market has to be created for the farmers to get interested, and then the market creates interest, also creates investor to invest into the farms uh, and to grow those. Um, we got a new operator coming in. They're going through the permit process now. Um, um, uh, just trying to think. Uh, the name of the company is Kelp Blue. They're going to do a, a farm in Southeast. Eventually, they'll once the once they beta their 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 process. They're looking to do a macrocesis, which is a giant kelp, and um, and bring a ship in basically to give this kelp a haircut. It's the kind of kelp you see flowing. Uh-huh. And, and, and then that particular species is used primarily in the feeds, textiles, um, and so on. But if they're if they get into production, they'll have their markets and their investors. And we need those type of growers here. We have a company by the name of Oceanium looking at the state uh, to do um, uh, bioplastics and mm. use kelp to create bioplastics. You know the old clamshells. Um, Oh, the clam, yeah. the plastic clamshells. Yeah, got yeah. it. So bio is biodegradable and so on. And so it's going to take those type of innovators to help bring more small farmers in to help aggregate the product to, to create that market and that value added market in state. We just don't want everything going out and getting processed somewhere else. We want to try to create that value add here in Alaska. And that's what the Alaska development team is doing. That's it's that level of detail that we're trying to get involved with in order to help create the market, help create an investor climate and help to create new interest in larger players who are going to buy much larger quantities of, of product. Well, I can't believe you got me pretty excited about kelp. I never thought that would happen. Well, if you want, you can go to the Alaska Mariculture Alliance's website. They did their final report to the governor. And it is a very well done um, documentation of where we are today as of uh, this was produced in May and presented to the governor. It was a task force that was created under Governor Walker. And I couldn't be more happy to work with the Alaska Mariculture Alliance. They really are leading this charge. And I'm just a supporting cast to, to where they want to go. And it's pretty exciting. Well, so uh, Scott, I'm going to send you the link to that because I just found it and uh, maybe we can put that in our show notes today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, so. So, Matt, I, I know that in the Northeast, this is a, a big thing right now, particularly oyster farms and um, along the coast there in Massachusetts. And, and I, it's exciting to see because before I left to come back to Alaska again, uh, I was involved in a lot of those conversations in the marketing perspective. 
And when you're dealing with this sort of new technology, a lot of it is obviously the front end investor stuff, but it's also kind of educating the state as to a lot of those opportunities that come out of this type of uh, farming, whether it's, you know, seaweed, whatever it may be, because a lot of people like you're sharing have no idea that seaweed could make X, Y, and Z. They just don't know. Right. Right. So Agreed. Well, awesome. let's, let's, let's switch. Um, you mentioned two things. You mentioned mariculture and we, we sort of focused on, on kelp, which I think is fascinating because I'm thinking of all the, the great uh, plastic substitutes that we can make out of things like kelp cellulose. So. Who knew? And who knew? Yeah, who knew? But let's talk about um, let's talk about the Department of Defense, because, of course, we do know that that has been an ongoing industry here in Alaska since far long before statehood, really uh, be, prior to statehood, even in World War II. Alaska was a strategic stronghold and we, you know, we were invaded by the Japanese at one point over there in the Aleutians. And we are still a a sort of some of our military here is point of the spear. And we do see an awful lot of activity growing with the support from Senator Dan Sullivan. And so tell us a little bit about Department of Defense and whatever sort of economic spinoff that may be able to generate. Maybe things that we haven't thought of before. Sure. So for me, when I first came uh, into the state service, um, I, I come from a government contracting background. Uh, I've got 20 years working in native corporations and so on. So I understood the value proposition of military construction, especially when we're dealing with small business administration, uh, paragraph 8A is set aside, which allows our Alaska native um, tribes and village corps and corporations to, to take advantage of that, that very nice uh, benefit along with our um, our other um, minorities can but at just different levels so the value of the military to me was much more than just a soldier uh, in camo walking around the community spending their money at dry cleaners and restaurants and so on but so I started to look and focus on the military as an industry and how do we make sure that we are telling your industry that you are, acceptance of them and you want their business and you want them to hire Alaskan contractors when they have a military construction project. Most people don't realize, but it's about 1.8 billion in military payroll between uh, civilian and and uniformed um, uh, members. And that does not include the Coast Guard. That's just because Coast Guard's under Homeland Security. And about 228,000 employees of total personnel that represents that that funding source. Um, The top 10 contractors in Alaska are are companies you know, military contractors. So Arctic Slope Regional Corp is number one, you know, with over 169 million. This is in-state monies. This is not monies being spent globally. This is in Alaska. You got Doyon with about 88 million. This is all public record stuff. uh, Chugach, Alaska, Watershed, Usabelli. Now, where's Usabelli fit into this paradigm? You might ask. Well, they sell coal to the two facilities there in the interior, Fort Wainwright and in the and um, Isleson. And so um, it, it's just so when you look at these kind of numbers, you say, well, wow, this is now an industry. And then you look at the trickle down economics of this. And you look at the secondary and, and, and tertiary numbers of employees, it's closer to 40,000 or so uh, people are affected by the military's presence here in Alaska. 
So in my working on this topic, you know, I'm I'm involved in what's going on in, in the interior and the expansion of the F-35s and the 1,900 or 2,000 or so airmen that are going to come to Alaska, bring their families to Alaska, rent off base in the North Pole area. And whenever somebody that's in the military can live off base, the economy grows. Once somebody is on base, the economy stays on base because they don't need to go anywhere. They got fast food restaurants. They have the commissary. They have the PX. They have bowling. They have movies. They have a little city in a city. So it's to our advantage in Alaska to encourage the military members to be off base, living in the community, going to your Girl Scout meetings, your Boy Scout meetings, going to your church and so on, which helps the communities grow. And no other community demonstrates that commitment better and no offense to Anchorage, but then the Fairbanks and the North Star Borough. And yep, Fairbanks, off, they get it. My hat off to uh, Mayor Ward of the borough there and Mayor Welch of the North Pole and uh, Jomo over at Fedco. They get it. 30% of the Fairbanks economy is derived from those bases. And when you look at the impact to those bases, whether it's Greeley, whether it is uh, Isleson or Wainwright, that is a huge portion of their economy that's based on a decision point anywhere but Alaska. But the most important thing, I think, for the topic is I am very excited about where the military is going to go in Alaska. And thank, thank, thank you, Senator Sullivan. Thank you, Senator Sullivan. Thank you, Senator Sullivan. Because as a member of the, of the, of the National Defense Authorization Act, he gets it. He understands the importance and much of this monies that we've just talked about in, in 2020, FYI 2020 numbers, went to Clear Air Station to upgrade it, went to Ericsson Air Base to upstate, up, upgrade it. Most people don't realize, but Clear is now part of Space Command. Mm -hmm. um, the threat factor that's going on in North Korea, in China, and in Russia, and in the North Pacific Passageway, all center on Alaska. And Alaska has been privileged to have, well, Alaska is sitting in a very privileged point because every base, every, excuse me, every military branch has created a strategic plan that has an Arctic focus. And that's critical. That includes the Navy, it includes the Coast Guard. So it's my mindset, my opinion, my crystal ball that says, the Navy's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That's and interesting we, because I think that was something that uh, that Senator Sullivan pushed. Is that correct? He really worked hard to get them to incorporate an Arctic focus in every single branch. And right. you're right. The Navy is, well, the Marines aren't here either, really. They do a little training down in, in Kodiak, I understand, but um, but they aren't here, and the, and the Navy, the Navy's not here either. So we have room to expand, and I guess you're kind of working right. on that. We do, and it's exciting because I, I see this really as uh, as a growth engine, because this is new monies coming into the state. If we if we can get a navy base here, great. And it's only a matter of time before an icebreaker is here. I personally believe um, we just need more of them being built so they can be sure. deployed elsewhere. But let's be realistic: navy ships don't do any good sitting in port. So even though they're here, they'll be they'll be out doing their job. Um, but where Alaska benefits is with the higher um, emphasis being put on the Arctic. 
And where Alaska benefits is in a Arctic trained military force. Uh, for example, you're gonna see going on in the interior, one activity, one event after another, after another, whether it's in the air or on the ground, as they finish red, red flag. And then they go into another experience where they're bringing in other partners, NATO partners, looking at Alaska and, and playing in our airspace with the aircraft and working with our, our military machinery on the grounds to push them to their cold points to see where the breakdown factors are. Because you want to have a breakdown in practice, not in real life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Scott, do you have any other questions for our wonderful guest, Matthew Fagnani? No, I, I think this has been extremely eye-opening. I think a lot of people, Matt, as you probably know, are interested in what's the future of Alaska's economy, obviously. Tourism, fishing, um, oil and gas are big, but some of these other developments, uh, including the military, is a big part of that. But the developments you brought up today are huge, huge. Uh, it, Suzanne, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, we had a guest on who was talking about Alaska becoming kind of the drone capital of the world. Oh, that's right. We uh, we that's we should we we did, and and the the different kinds of uh, drone experiments that are going on up in in Fairbanks for sure. And Absolutely. Dr. And, Dr. Ahead, Cahill, Dr. Cahill's leading that team, and yeah, and I, their team is doing very very progressive stuff. I'm sure they are. And I think, you know, I, when I think of, you know, the military as well, I think of, you know, those types of, of subsets of the military that would be very interested in Alaska mm -hmm. uh, as well. And so there's just a lot of really cool opportunities that you're presenting. And I think uh, Alaskans should be uh, excited about the, the economic viability of the state and also some of these new uh, possibilities coming down the road. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. That's mm -hmm. that's some cool stuff. It is. And I, I like you've got a Southeast focus, which is great for the mariculture. And that really stretches all the way up Cordova, Yakutat, yep. Prince William Sound and, and Kodiak as well, where they can do mariculture. They can do oysters, oyster farming. Um, and then uh, and then a Fairbanks focus, which is so important because Fairbanks is a we've seen what has happened when during the Obama years, when they pulled back a little bit and it really crushed that economy for some time. And it's growing. It's, it's coming forward again. Fairbanks is actually growing in population, unlike uh, Anchorage, and uh, they are very focused on. I think I think Fairbanks as a community is very focused. They know they know how important the military is for all kinds of reasons. Well, how how can people learn more about the Alaska Development Team and what you guys are are doing for Alaska? Um, there's our website. It's North Number Two Opportunity. I believe it's down right now. We're doing some maintenance on it but it's North, the number two opportunity. Um, you can also reach us through the governor's, um, uh, through the governor's office's uh, webpage and all of our information is there. The commissioner of commerce, uh, who of course is retiring on Friday, um, Julie is a valuable member of our team and the new commissioner who over he or she is will be part of our team as well. Keith Comstock's up in, in Juneau. He does a lot of our broadband, our aerospace. Um, and so, uh, and then you can reach us here on the main switchboard uh, here at the governor's office. I do want to let you guys know, we are very, very bullish on Alaska. And it's not because infrastructure money is coming. It's because Alaskans are resilient. Alaskans know what we have to do to get the job done. We, I, I think the governor said it right in a meeting once. He says, we have to quit act, thinking like a territory, start acting like a state. And if you really break that down a bit, it really is optimistic because we want to be able to look at the future of our state and say, well, why can't we do it here? Why can't we manufacture it here? 
it's going to add a little bit of cost to ship the lower 48, but Traveris is doing that in Palmer and they're doing um, uh, cleaners for the aircraft carriers in Palmer, Alaska. And he's proven that this does work. So Alaska is ready for that next stage. And I think we are very bullish on where the economy is going to go ultimately. And I think now we need to deal with the labor issue and make sure that we have drivers and operators and, and the people to do the job so that Alaskans are first in line for those great paying jobs. Oh, that's a really good idea. And then, and then you know, you're right that the, the pandemic has sort of taught us that actually we can manufacture things here and maybe we just need to get on it and uh, work that aspect a little bit more. We haven't in the past, I think maybe because we've been so focused on oil and gas, fisheries and timber. Those are, are, are some areas that are being cut off from us. Uh, not so much fisheries, although there's some troubling things going on out in the ocean that are really making our, our um, some of our runs suffer. But oil and gas, of course, we're, we're going through a, a patch because we have a, a president who's hostile to us. And of course, we know that the uh, Biden administration is also hostile to us developing a timber or mining. So it's, you know, we've got to develop some other things. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. What a fantastic uh, surprise this was to get you today. I feel really lucky and I wish you a very happy new year. And for everybody who stuck with us to the end of the show, I know we, we went on a little bit longer than usual, but if you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, I just really want to thank you so much. You're making it possible for us to stand up for what's right in Alaska, what's going on that's good. And you help give us a voice on the conservative side. So to support this conservative side of the news, go ahead to the right-hand side of mustreadalaska.com and there's a little button there. You can just chip in whatever you feel like it's worth to you. I appreciate you helping us keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. But until, let's see, I think, Scott, you're going to be on the show tomorrow. And until then, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska. <laughs>